At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Is episodes once a week not enough for you? Or are you looking for more technical information from the Mixing Music Podcast? Well, guess what? Now you can. You can subscribe to our exclusive content and triple the amount of episodes that you get access to. That's right. Instead of the free once-a-week episodes, you get three episodes a week for only $4 a month or $40 a year. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive to get access to those episodes now. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host DK and with me as always is my lovely co-host... Lord of the Loose. Oh. Meow, 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 meow. Meow. All right. How you doing, Lou? I'm doing good. I'm walking into my office with some Pokemon cards and a new Dummy Daily shirt. Dummy is just amazing. Just <laughs> it's a mono, bitch. <laughs> uh, it's actually, it actually feels like great material. I'm not gonna lie. Good job, Dummy. Yeah, we are live right now, which is why um, Lou held up the shirt, and uh, we're on live. You can watch our videos even after the stream on Twitch and YouTube specifically. Subscribe on YouTube, follow on Twitch. Um, but uh, if you want to check out what we look like, you know, subscribe to us on YouTube. But uh, um, yes, Lou has received a shirt from Dami. <laughs> <laughs> Dami Daily. <laughs> Dami is one of our one of our. Uh, uh, what do you say? Assistant engineers, interns. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's he runs he our does marketing. This daily segment on Instagram called Dami Daily, and it's pretty funny. And he says ridiculous stuff. My um, favorite one to date is still Dami Daily today. That is what she said, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. No other context outside of that. Anyway, um. We've uh, changed our recording schedule. So we usually have been recording from 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every Monday mor- Monday afternoon. Um, but we're changing our recording time. Today is the first day that we're actually starting to record at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time every Monday. Um, and we're going to have guests around like 1030 if we do guests. Uh, we're not this week. Um, so just change of schedule there if you've been trying to catch us live on the Twitch or on YouTube. Anyway, let's let's get right into the episode today. This is a very interesting and unique episode. Last week, we talked about um, recording vocals, vocal production, what you need, different levels, and what to think about for each level of vocal production, what not to focus on. Um, we want to do the same exact type of thing except for mixing. 
Um, recording vocals is extremely important. And I think that recording engineers, good recording engineers are underrated, quite honestly. I think yeah. that good recording engineers fly under the radar. They're overworked and um, are put in high stress environments. And uh, yeah, it's it's tough to be a recording engineer. Um, mixing engineer is tough for its own reasons, but let's talk about um, equipment that you need to be a mixer. Number one, we have a computer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Lou, do you uh, want to talk about some of the important specs of a computer? Because I, I have a lot of people DMing me or t asking us on the live stream, like, what's, I'm trying to buy a new computer. What should I be looking out for? RAM, cores, etc. What are some important specs when looking for a computer, specifically for mixing and running plugins or sure. hardware? Whatever? Uh, okay. So, in a nutshell, and Keep in mind, I'm not the computer expert, but I do know enough to at least say I know what I'm looking for. Um, but if you're looking to speak to an expert, hit up uh, Sean Bryson, Bryson Tenniel on uh, on Instagram. This guy is a beast of a computer uh, tech. But aside from that, he's also a great engineer. So he all of his computer stuff that he does is specifically for studios. So if you want to get really in-depth, Bryson is the guy. But uh, in a nutshell, if you're looking to spec out a computer on a basic level, what you want to do is understand uh, three kind of fundamental things. Uh, your RAM is for the plugins. If you're going to be the type to use a ton of plugins or you receive fairly large sessions all the time, and because of that, you naturally start running up your plugin count. You're going to want more RAM. I actually now, I think specifically for like VST. Yeah, like virtual that's more of the VST, sorry, yeah. virtu VIs, virtual instruments. So if you're like a producer or film composer, you need hella RAM. Like if you pull up like you a do. Waves, like th the Waves one will show you. Actually, even um, I think even some of the other stuff, Native Instruments will show you like how much RAM you're using. Because yep. what they do is like they cache all of that sound sample stuff in your RAM. Onto the RAM. So it's, yeah. yeah. So if you're using a ton of like virtual instruments and producing, you need hella RAM. Which I goes to the second thing, honestly, which is your cores. Because, like you mentioned right now, virtual instruments, let's say that uh, for a mixer, let's say that they're sending you sessions with the virtual instrument in it, then you actually need more cores. The reason being is that virtual instruments, aside from caching what they're doing inside of it, like all the little tasks, the actual sampling and everything that they're doing, the actual core of the work that the virtual instrument is doing is more related to your cores than it is your RAM. They work together on it, but you need strong, powerful cores to actually run the virtual instrument because at that point, you're talking more about the load versus instances. And each virtual instrument has a certain amount of load to them. So if you think about plugins like, I don't know, I would say Contact's a, fairy, uh, a fairly uh, heavy uh, virtual instrument, being that it has a large library, which requires a lot of RAM just to kind of load and access quickly in and out. But to actually run the plugin, it's actually a pretty heavy duty one so your cores actually matter more when it comes to how much load you're putting onto like let's say pro tools logic or anything um or your virtual instruments um the ram will help in support of that which is actually really good because like dk said you know if you're loading up uh, let's say a ton of plugins or virtual instruments that have a bunch of different settings and everything that you can mess with and all that then your ram kicks in to kind of support because ram at the end of the day it literally stands for random access memory. So it's any little bits of information that are there momentarily and then gone the next, which is why all the plugins rely more on the RAM. 
But um, your core count, depending on your DAW, will actually work differently. For instance, like Pro Tools, when recording, is a single core DAW. I don't know if you know that, DK. But when you're recording, it only actually accesses one core fully. It can do multi-core as it's working and mixing. But if you're recording, you just need really good core performance, which at that point, it's more about your actual processing speed, which is when you see people talking about like, oh, my computer can run 2.8 gigahertz. You can uh, see like if you're on a Mac, uh, you just click on the Apple icon about this Mac and it'll tell you your processing speeds. Um, like the computer that I use runs at 5.2 gigahertz and each core is individually synced. And that's important to note because on mon- many like commercial computers, all the cores will kind of read you their average or their peak, but they won't tell you what each one of them is doing. So independently synced cores are great because no matter which core your DAW or your virtual instrument is relying on, you know, there's going to be a consistency in performance. But it also means that the higher the the processing speed, the snappier or the quicker it is to navigate your computer. If you ever load up a plugin and it's taking forever to load, that's your processing speed. And the more RAM you have, the lower the processing speed. The more cores you have, the lower the processing speed. So there's this triangle of balance of what you need. For instance, like a lot of video editors want more cores and more RAM. So their computers tend to be like, lower processing speeds while a lot of recording engineers uh, really want uh, higher processing speeds and don't always need a ton of RAM, but they're looking to have a good amount of RAM. So their core count is usually smaller while a lot of mixing engineers uh, tend to have, uh, you know, higher uh, cores and higher speeds because we want to be snappy in the mix and everything, but we're always not trying to have a plugin on every single insert on every single track, you know? So that balance, that little triangular balance between processing speed, your RAM, and your core count, each one will affect the other. So you have to kind of see which one you kind of need more and what your specific needs are. Yeah, so let's, let's. Uh, I'm going to clarify a couple things that you brought up. Um, so one, if you're a mixer, and that's what this list is for, um, RAM is not as important as not necessarily core count, but the speed of the CPU is one thing that you brought up in a previous episode about computers. Um, and you can find these benchmarks. Like there's a bunch of websites that runs mm-hmm. benchmark speeds yep. and performance tests on the CPUs for mixing specifically running plugins and pro tools, the software and things like that. Um, high thread count or high core count does not necessarily equate to faster performance. In fact, um, many benchmarks will show you that, like, for example, my computer right now is the old, um, the trash can Mac Pro, the older, the previous model of the Mac Pro, and I have it maxed out at 12 cores. Um, but uh, on the new Mac Minis with eight cores, which has a higher gigahertz uh, rate, actually runs faster than my 12 count higher core number um, but slower gigahertz um, rate, whatever that is. Um, so check out the benchmarks. You can see that CPU is the most important thing for mixers, all your plugins, um, the DAW itself. You can even, in Pro Tools, I don't know if any of the other DAWs do this, but you can see actually your CPU usage. I know that yeah. Studio One also has that as well at the bottom where you can see CPU usage. That's all going to be, again, core count does not equate to speed. It is the actual speed of the core. So eight 
uh, 12 cores could be slower than eight cores if those eight cores are rated to be faster. Just check out, go online, type in like core benchmarks, whatever. Um, yeah. The new M1, M1 Ultra Pros and what like that if you're using Apple. Um, not every single plugin is fully compatible on those uh, processing chips at this moment, although it's pretty much done. And, and to be honest, if it... If they haven't updated the plugins to fit on those, then it's on them. They're being stupid. Not, not. <laughs> they yeah. need to update their shit. Um, but uh, those are actually really, really fast and work really smoothly. Um, tend to be really, really fast as well. Um, we're not really going to get into Windows versus Mac. That's personal preference. I know that in America, most music production is done on Macs. Um, so if you're worried about like compatibility, if you just want to like plug into another studio and their setup, most of their setup is probably going to be set up for Macs unless uh, otherwise uh, um, otherwise uh, described. Um, and uh, RAM is not as important. There are some plugins that run on RAM, but it's mostly going to be for like producers, composers. So for example, um, a, a composer friend of mine has like a hundred terabytes of RAM in his supercomputer. And every single time he pulls up uh, a composite, like a score, like he has a preset of like 300 tracks and each one is like a fully filled in um, like native instruments, East West studio, like high res string section and like of like 300 tracks of that just already filled in. So anytime he he wants to create something, he'll just like pull up the track and just start recording MIDI for that. Um, uh, If, unless you're doing that, you don't need, I don't, 100 terabytes sounds excessive. It's probably like, I think it was like 20 to 50 terabytes, but still like a stupid amount of RAM. Um, that's not going like- to be necessary. 16 gigabytes of RAM is is enough. Um, if you want to be super safe, 32 is more than enough. 64. And I think the difference, If I read some benchmarks before, going from 8 to 16 gigabytes of RAM is like a fairly big difference. Going from 16 yeah. to 32 is not as big of a difference. Going from 32 to 64 is even less of a difference. So going yeah. 16 or 32 is... A what I'm seeing from these benchmarks is the biggest difference or sorry, eight to 16, 16 is the biggest difference. And it still goes back to that scaling. It's, it's that whole balance. Like if, if there's not going to be that much of a difference and you don't really need it, there's, you're just hurting yourself in your computer specs. If you start overdoing what you don't need. Yeah. And then as far as graphics cards, um, we're starting to see some plugins, uh, get enhanced by utilizing graphics cards. Um, like there's mm-hmm. a couple of plugins that I own. It's like, would you like to enable graphics card you like usage to speed up the GUI or whatever? Um, it's not really necessary uh, for mixing. To, to, to be honest, there's like another company right now that it only works on Windows anyway. But they're like, gra- they use the graphics card instead Exclusively. of CPU. Yeah, yeah, I forgot what it was. It was like GPU plugins or something like that. Yeah, I forget anyway, what they that's are, like a but new like, technology. But typically, really cool. what's that? They looked really cool from when I saw them. Yeah, so typically yeah. GPU, um, not really a big deal um, for, I mean, obviously that's why we're using Macs because if it was a big deal, we wouldn't be using Macs. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, lastly, uh, this is something important to think about is fan noise. So if you're running Windows, oh. this is specifically a Windows issue and maybe some older um, Macs. Macs do not typically have this issue. Like if you have crazy fan noise, uh, probably not a good idea. You want to get silent fans or uh, this used to be a big thing where these engineers would put computers in a soundproof box or they put them in the machine room, right? In the separate room outside of the studio control room. So it was dead silent. Um, That's going above and beyond. I think above and beyond what we need today. Um, I mean, if you're running on a Mac laptop, it's still kind of an issue because uh, the body cannot properly ventilate itself. Like it only has what the 
three or four little slits on the back of the computer to really aerate. So if you want to avoid fan noise in that case, there is software for it. There is actual Mac software for you to actually say, okay, try to lower fan speeds and this and that. Um, there is also just cleaning out the dust out of it. If, if it's cluttered in dust, that thing is going to heat up a lot more and the computer will make the fans louder because the computer's heating up. So while you're actually mixing, if your laptop's been on for like three hours and you don't have it like on a little stand that lets it breathe and all that, then it probably is getting hot and the fans kicking in louder. Every time I've like had to work on a laptop setup, I've noticed the fan like that's, I don't use laptop setups very often, but on laptops, it's still kind of a thing, but it seems like there's software to help. Yeah. uh, There's, um, there's, I think I like I blow out the dust from my computer every once in a while, and that does dramatically. It doesn't not so much the fan speed. My Mac Pro trash can edition is is very silent, um, but I've noticed with other computers the dust can, especially like old Macs, dust can really, and then with Windows obviously dust can really make things loud because it'll make things work harder. Um, yeah. Cool. I think that's enough about computers. Honestly speaking, uh, last thing I guess is like Thunderbolt connectivity or like the different options, number of USB ports. That's just some basic stuff, peripheries that you should be checking out. Um, Anyway, there's a lot of other information. You should listen to more computer professionals if you're interested in learning more about the speed of computers and how that works with audios. We're not the computer professionals. There may have been some things that we said wrong, but it doesn't matter. Um, You should look it up. Um, And from our experience... Uh, we, from our experience, what we said was, um, the best of our knowledge. Anyway, um, number yeah. two is, uh, let's talk about graph or not graphics cards, sound cards, um, interfaces. Yeah. And sure. I, I want to bring this up. Having an interface is really important. If you're, if you're planning on going out of the box, obviously you need an interface that has multiple outputs and inputs because you need to have, um, signals go out of the interface and back into the interface in a typical setup in a non-typical setup. Higher level setup, you can have multiple cards, but we're just singing, stink, sticking with like a single use, single card, single interface setup. An interface is slightly different than um, uh, audio converter. And I yeah. want to talk about this. An interface often has more than just audio conversion. It oftentimes has interface, monitoring controls, headphone amps. Um, These are typically things that are separate from audio conversion. Like there's a lot of high-end, uh-oh, there's a lot of high-end sound cards out there that, um, (laughs) Lou, hold on. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to pause because this this yeah. video is gonna end in ten minutes. Do you have? Yeah, that's what I was people? looking at. I'm like, am I not logged in? Oh, because you started the Zoom. Yeah, that yeah, we need to use yours. We'll we'll finish this up. But anyway, let me let me do this. We'll I'll edit it in. Um, okay. But higher end sound cards do not typically have preamps like microphone preamps built in or uh, headphone jacks built in. Like we've seen a lot of higher end sound cards that all they do is in and out with no any sort of amplification at all it's just like that's uh, kind of how mine works i have the helo and it has a volume control for your monitor outs uh headphone jack and that's it there's no preamps there's no like user daw that lets me run plugins or anything it's it's just in and out yeah and then the auroras that we have in the is it the aurora yeah we have the lynx auroras uh, Aurora doesn't even have monitoring controls on that one. nope it's just in and out and that's it yeah, so um, I would recommend 
you know, at the very beginning level, uh, remember that an interface is slightly different and make sure that you do have, I think like monitoring control is extremely important. Whether you get that separately or whether you get that as part of the interface, I think that's important. Um, I prefer having an interface uh, where I don't have to have an external monitor controller and I have like a little rolling rack next to me and mine's just like a rack mounted um, uh, interface and I love it. Um, it's got a couple preamps for the podcast and live stream, but it's mostly just non-amplified line level in and outs, which is great if I want to go out of the box, but typically I stay in the box. Um, yeah, Lou, you have a Lynx Hilo, which is like a mastering grade. All it is is two inputs, two outputs, kind of a yeah. deal. Um, uh, it's kind of funny. Somebody got mad at me for saying that the other day. They're like, well, it has the monitor out. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not using that for like anything outside of my monitor, so I'm not going to count them. Yeah, uh, but it's it's dope. It's it does a lot of cool and fancy things. I like it. Um, the reason I really like it is uh, I remember going to Bob's studio after DK told me he's like, dude, the Lynx Hilo, like it does nothing except transient. So I was like, how? <laughs> like at a certain point, like interfaces and converters can sound really close to each other. For instance, like uh, the new Lynx Aurora's can they're modular so you can have preamps on it you can have uh line outs you can have uh monitor outs you can have different connectivity like dante or thunderbolt or usb whatever you want it to be but um you know like the motus are very clean interface like what dk uses and they have so much flexibility in everything that they do that it's hard to go wrong with a motu with the Hilo, it's very easy to go wrong if you don't choose it specifically for its job. Like, if you're using it to record and you don't have any external gear, you chose the wrong interface. If you're just going to be mastering and you have a few pieces outboard and everything, then it's a great interface. If you don't, it's still a great interface, but don't expect to use it for recording without any external gear. And at that point, it makes it too expensive of an option because they're roughly about $3,600. Um, and then you have to spend more money to get a preamp. Like, ouch, I, I don't want that financial burden. Yeah, so you don't need a super high-end one. That's another thing that I wanted to talk about as well. Um, in an episode, this is a, a podcast that I refer, refer, refer to often, especially the first 15 episodes is amazing, is The Mastering Show with Ian Shepard. He actually, I'm trying to find it, I can't find it right now, but in one of the first few episodes, um, he talks a lot about the, the actual engineering and the building of these sound cards. Um, and... A couple things that are really interesting is that it costs a lot of money to engineer and create um, an interface or like a, a converter that converts audio at the same quality at all frequency ranges. So like at 44, at uh, at all sample rates. It's it's incredibly difficult to do that. Um, that's why these like two to $3,000 converters um, will will perform best at a specific sample rate. And like, if you'd go above or below that, it actually converts worse. So for example, through my testing, um, I found out that the Apollo 8, um, the rack-mounted UAD Apollo, works best at 48 kilohertz, mm -hmm. which is really interesting because there's more distortion at 41 or 92 or 96 or whatever it is, 192. Um, there's more distortion actually in those. So the best one is 48. Um, I haven't done that on my Motu. I haven't done that with the, the Hilo, but it would cost tens of thousands of dollars to create a high-end um, sound card with 
equal quality at multiple sample rates. So some, that's interesting so, to think about. But in that same episode, he also talked about um, a website where you can listen to lossless audio files of people do pushing audio and converting it through these different <laughs> sound cards. And then you can hear like what it sounds like, the difference if you push it through one time and convert it once or like 500 times. So it's like, <laughs> I forgot, it was like 50 to 500, I don't remember the exact time, but it was like multiple times over so you can really hear the sound of that card. Um, going from a Focusrite 2i2 to like a thousand dollar interface made a big difference, um, especially like multiple times going through. Not a very big difference at all. Very small difference. Not even worth talking about um, for just one time pass through, uh, which is most people's uses. Um, but there is a small difference going up to like the $1,000 interfaces I noticed. And then going from $1,000 to like $10,000 interfaces or sound cards, there's like virtually no difference. Um, It's very small, even with the multiple times reprinted and pushed through. So that's something to think about. The point is, yes, sound cards and, and converters do change the audio, but is that the reason why your mixes are sounding worse? No, definitely not. And if you think about it, um, you're not actually using your converters if you're not going out of the box. So if you're staying in the box and only using plugins, the only converter that you're using really is digital to analog for your monitors. That's that's it. Um, It literally doesn't play a role in your bounce at all unless it's a clocking thing, and that's it. And let's be honest, even some of the biggest engineers don't want to deal with external clocks. Yeah, so we're going to do like, so if you're you're not going out of the box and if you're not recording, then you do not need nice, like the quality of your A to D does not matter at all. Because even when you print, it's it's not even the sound of your interface. It's just your, it's just that straight up, the sound of Pro Tools. You know, famously, uh, Mike Tucci, uh, you know, his studio was... I could be wrong on this, but from my understanding, was basically destroyed. Like his gear was essentially lost in some damage. And um, he had to start working in the box while he figured things out. And then he's like, you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine in the box. So now he's been mastering records for like Tizio and Baines and all these other people regularly. The dude's got platinum plaques up the wazoo uh, for everything that he's been doing in the box. He He literally has not had an issue with just sticking in the box. He just has an interface. He doesn't do any external summing or external compressors anymore. If if the reason that you're claiming that your mixes or masters are not sounding good, I mean, there's multi-platinum engineers that can clearly say otherwise. Yeah. Uh, there are more complicated setups. Just to, just to kind of be clear, there are more complicated setups that we hear a lot of mastering engineers using. For example, using two converters. This is interesting, the concept of two converters where um, they go out. So it's just the D to A, the digital to analog that goes into all of their equipment, the chain of equipment, and then they have a separate A to D, and that's all it does. Yeah. Um, those two equipment. So, and the cool thing about these things is that if you change the sample rates, you don't actually ever have to use dither. There's no degradation of sound. It's just re-recording at a different sample rate. Um, so there's no need to use dither, which we can talk about a separate time. Um, it, it just stays the same lossless file, just re-recorded at a different sample rate. We won't get too deep into that, um, but that's a really complicated setup that is not necessary for most people, especially at home. Yeah. That is just way unnecessary. Um, even unnecessary for most ma- master engineers. It's just high, complicated version. Anyway, um, 
the so we've talked about computers, we've talked about converters and interfaces. Um, let's talk a little bit briefly about outboard gear. I I don't want to spend too much time on this because I think we all know what um, we're gonna say about this. <laughs> um, but I want to briefly talk about that. Lou, in short, do you need outboard equipment specifically for mixing? No. Is it useful for recording? Yes. Do you need it for mastering? No. I think that's the straight up answer. Um, that's that's the genuine straight up answer. Like, I'm not going to lie, DK, I hate to tell you, you're going to hate me right now. And it's okay. I'm willing to body it. I'm willing to body it. Just just for today, though. You can't hate me tomorrow. Um, I did just make a gear purchase, too. Why, why would I hate you for that? <laughs> How dare you? What'd you get? SSL G-Bus and the Ultraviolet EQ. If you go on... Um, we're not sponsored, but... 500 Series. Nice. Um, uh, yeah, they're 50% off right now. 50% off? Yeah, the SSL G-Bus is officially twelve ninety nine right now, and they're officially on back order already. Wow. And, and the Ultraviolet EQ is only 600 bucks now. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and I'll be honest. I've always liked the EQ, but I never thought it was worth like $1,300 for it. Like, I was like, 600 bucks, I see it. Um, the G bus worth $2,600 didn't really see it, but 1300 bucks. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'd rather have it, but guess why I bought it? This is, this is the kicker. I bought it for studio a, I didn't buy it for me. I bought it because as a commercial recording facility where we house and literally suit our setup for our clients, I figured our clients would really appreciate having an SSL G bus to use while they're mixing so funny enough is it required no i didn't buy it for me to mix i'll be honest i bought it because i want it it's a great piece to have it's a great door opener but um it's not going to make my mix any better whatsoever yeah yeah. So just to put a cap, because there's so many episodes that we've talked about this for recording, it's actually pretty useful having a separate preamp and a separate uh, compressor that that you can use right after the preamp, which goes into the interface is actually useful. Like having a compressor during recording is nice. Uh, it's practical. Um, it doesn't have to be the nicest one, too. It's just you're just using it. The distressor for the is actual- amazing. Yeah, I did. And, I've uh, done so many shootouts, the distressor versus the tube tech. And so many people are like, yo. The distressor is amazing. It fits all my needs. I'm like, yep, don't spend triple the amount. Like the you can get like a warm audio or great. Clark Technic too. Like like the practical yeah. use of a compressor, like just how practical it is, is is yeah. nice. Um, I mean, you can get deep into it with yeah. nicer sounding compressors. But even with like a few hundred dollar compressor, it's just really practical to have for recording vocals specifically so they can yell into the microphone and it doesn't get louder into their headphones. You know, Shout so out to ART for making the dual channel opto compressor, the, what that, is it, that the VLA, too, the valve limiting amplifier. Yeah, the VLA from ART, it's two ninety nine, And a lot of people, you could see this all over online. There's like tube swaps and all this kind of stuff. There's tons of YouTube videos of how people have improved the sound for relatively 50 to 100 bucks. Yeah. So uh, there are really affordable options out there if you need it. Um, but the only equipment that you should consider is if you don't have a monitor controller built in, then you'll need one. Um, to obviously turn up and down your speakers or even to switch between your speakers if talkback is something... Well, you're not for mixing, right? That's specific for recording. Um, 
And uh, the only other equipment that I, that like, when I say equipment, I mean like outboard gear, right? But um, other than that, like no, outboard gear is not necessary. Outboard compression, outboard EQ, outboard limiting, anything like that, um, really not necessary. And in fact, um, I can make a heavy argument about why it, um, it can slow you down, thus making you less money. And there, the unfortunate thing, well, it's hard to hear, but um, even professionals at our level, uh, we cannot, it's, there's at no point we can not confidently and risk our name and honor say that this mix was done in the box versus analog. You can't really yeah. tell. Yeah. Um, and, and it's uh, funny the too, biggest, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say like even some of the engineers, like I think DK and I are at that age where a lot of the engineers we grew up watching were very big analog guys, but then the engineers that some of the younger people now, newer generation of engineers, are looking up to are actually our friends, like Baines, Tizio, and everybody. Like, we've all hung out. But um, the funny thing is, like, for the most part, these guys built their careers without having a heavy reliance on outboard gear. But once they got busier and busier, yeah, we had time to play with more gear as we came up because we had more time on our hands and we could spend an hour doing recalls. But nowadays, like uh, Colin, uh, you know, District Sound Labs, um, uh, he actually doesn't twist his knobs anymore. He went with the CLA method of it's a preset value. It has to hit it the same way every time. So he spends a lot of time gain staging things so that he doesn't have to lose his settings or keep recalling settings. It's really important for his workflow not to have to touch the gear because unlike a plugin, you can't just change the settings and then go back uh, in a split second. And that's the workaround, right? Where where you leave, for example, 1176, you leave the input and the output the same. You set, have it set to a certain song. So then next song that you have, all you do is change the gain staging of that track, whether it's a vocal or a snare or whatever. So mm-hmm. it hits the compressor the same way that you like um, by increasing the volume. So that way it's like automatically recalled. Uh, so you don't ever have to touch the knobs on the outboard gear. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on to the next topic, which I think is speakers and monitors, um, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll uh, there's a few other beyond that, but um, let's go into speakers and monitors. This is where I think that you should spend the most amount of money in. Yeah, I agree. Um, and uh, well, outside of acoustic treatment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Outside of acoustic treatment, no, 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 it counts unless we're talking headphones. Yeah, yeah. Um, headphones are actually really underrated. I think people give yeah. too much crap on them. Um. The great thing about headphones is that they don't change based on the room that you're in. They have low-end extension. Um, and the big thing is that people get separate headphones for mixing um, when you probably don't need to even do that. For example, you should you should take the time to get used to your headphones. And I've said this many times before, so um, I'll be short. But if you do most of your casual active listening from your AirPods, you'd probably do a better mix from your headphones from your AirPods than like your Sennheiser 660 HD Pros that you only ever use to mix. That you or don't your do any $1,500 Audis. Yeah, there's no point. You you want to use the the transducers, your headphones or speakers, that, and you want to spend the time getting used to them. That's going to be a big, big deal. Um, I think do, like paying nice monitors is significantly more important than having... <laughs> other things outboard gear for example um but let's go i don't think i need to say much more into that other than um uh let's go into acoustic treatment which uh, luckily is 
if you do it yourself, you build it yourself. I mean, Lou, you're telling me about your cost on production building these, like each one of these panels that you can make, like, uh, what is it? Four by three, four by two panels. Like these uh, ones two right by behind fours, me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two by four by six inches deep. Honestly, if I'm just buying one set and it's going to be expensive because you're going to have leftover material, but let's say you buy, build eight at a time uh, because when you buy the insulation, they come in bats of uh, eight pieces, right? Um, cool. If you're building them eight at a time and you're just going for a simple color like black or white, you can build them for roughly 40 bucks to 50 bucks a panel, you know, compared yeah, yeah. to buying them, which is like 80 to 100 nowadays. Actually, six inches deep is closer to 100 to 120. So, Lou, let's say that we only have, I only have 500 bucks mm-hmm. and I don't have anything. Well, other than the computer. Yeah. Um, I want to buy speakers or acoustic treatment. Okay. What are you going to suggest that I get? Headphones. Well, yeah. Okay, let's now, like, you're right. You're right. Assuming that if you I only have got 500 bucks. Yeah. Let's so assuming my- that I have headphones already. Yeah. If it's the difference between acoustic treatment or speakers, which comes first, I think the easy answer is acoustic treatment. Would yeah. you disagree with it's, me there? It's, it's going to go acoustic treatment every way. Because uh, let's say you take all 500 bucks and you get the best possible monitors in that realm. Well, if your mixing room sm- sounds, I was about to say smells, hopefully it doesn't, sounds like a bathroom, um, then I don't really care what you're mixing. That's going to be a lot of learning in that room. Cause, uh, I talked about this recently on, on a little tutorial about like things that are important for like a home recording setup. And, you know, put simply, if, if you're used to listening to things in your car, then cool. Your car is probably the best reference point for you. That's where the car test came from, right? Everybody listens to the majority of music in the car. Um, cool. Well, when you walk out of your room and you go to another studio and you work in that studio for an hour, then you walk back into your own room, your ears have acclimated for the last hour to a separate room, separate acoustics, separate everything, which means that you now have to listen to songs in your room before you get back to mixing because you might not actually have the same response or acoustics or transient response. Um, With that said, your mix may sound different in a different room. So if you're mixing in a bathroom, I hate to say it, but nothing else in the world sounds like a bathroom. So that's a lot of ear training for you to get used to that. You you might as well just invest that money into the treatment first, then save up for a new set of monitors. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, getting monitors in a in a totally open room and then eventually getting acoustic treatment is going to make the monitors sound different. You're going to have to retrain, re- yeah. relearn your You speakers. might not even so like those monitors better. anymore. Yeah, it's better to get acoustic treatment first. I know it's not as cool. I mean, yeah. I guess it is aesthetically can look cool. It looks, it may look like you know what you're doing. Um, but like I like the black and monitors, white that you got going on. What's that? I like the black and white that you got going on. Yeah, I need to get more white fabric. I'm trying to change them all out to white, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, that's uh, that's that's really important. Acoustic acoustic uh, treatment. Um, let's let's kind of do the last couple topics that I had in mind is plugins. Mm-hmm. Um, straight up plugins are really interesting i don't think that you should get six different versions of the 1176 (laughs) i think that (laughs) i think that in the beginning stage actually having too many plugins is more hurtful than anything else in the beginning stage like if you're learning how to mix or trying to get comfortable or like 
um, you have a hard time getting really hyper focused into your mixing because all you're doing is thinking about how compressors technically work, then the more plugins you add and the more plugins you have to learn is only going to hurt you in the long yeah. run. Yeah. Um, I think eventually like the getting and collecting plugins is going to be a slow grind. Like you should have as many plugins that I have once you've worked as many years doing only mixing as I have. Like, yeah. uh, um, I think it's a waste of time to do mul multiple. If you're looking at buying new plugins, then get plugins that you don't have duplicates of, like tools that you've never used in the past. For example, if you don't have a sound noise suppression, um, echo canceling type plugin, then that's a new tool that you probably should get that'll help you yeah. do things. If you don't have like a phase alignment tool or a drum sampling triggering tool, then those are tools that you should probably, you should get a tool that you don't have, not another version of an 1176. One of my favorite sense. plugins right now, and it's funny because it does not, or at least it's supposed to not, let me clarify that, uh, have a tonal character whatsoever is adapter from uh, uh, adapters metric AB. If you don't have a monitor controller or an AB switcher and all that kind of stuff, um, it does everything. You can load up up to like, what is it, 12 to 16 different reference tracks, and you can compare your mix to it. You can do frequency-dependent uh, comparisons. It's got analyzers up the wazoo. Um, I barely use it for all that. I mainly use it as like my referencing tool, but it's a plugin that's only 40 bucks, and it makes a world of a difference in my workflow. Like if you're looking to mix long-term, you had to learn to reference properly, and properly is such a creative word in music right um what is proper in music nothing um but honestly speaking get tools that literally make your work faster and more effective and that's mostly about practicing and using those plugins it's not even about the tools themselves so uh, that's super duper important. Um, I would recommend if you want to go beyond stock, if you're just starting, just get like Slate or Plugin Alliance, like one of these subscription companies and don't get anything else. Yeah. Um, I'd really recommend that. Uh, again, the biggest issue that I see with beginning level in, in uh, uh, mixers that I teach or I give feedback for is is... They have too many options. They kind of get paralyzed and they're never able to really feel the music. Um, yep. The problem with having too many plugins or, or not being comfortable with the plugins that you have is, is it's hard to be inspired by the music. If you don't like, for example, um, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. Um, jazzers, they say that like uh, improvising on their instruments is like communicating with the other members of the band. Well, if they don't know their scales so damn well, so in it's so inherent, their scales are so ingrained into yeah. their mind beyond memorized, um, they can never have that conversation, that level of conversation. It becomes too technical, and they have to remember which keys are what and what notes they can play. And it's not, it's no longer a conversation. They can't think about the emotional aspect. It's the same thing with mixers. You can never do a great emotional mix if you're still thinking about how a compressor works or how yep. this specific compressor works. Yep. Um, you have to practice, know your tools really, really well. Um, once you learn and get comfortable with all your tools, then you can slowly start expanding because you want different. Because the nice thing about having different versions of the 1176 is each one, the workflow might be different. Like yeah. this one has more distortion. It might be a sound thing as well. This one has more distortion. This one's cleaner. But if you don't know what your first one sounds like, then there's no point. There's no reference. Yeah. So there's and no if, point of getting a second one for the sonic or color character because you don't even know what the first one sounds like. There's to nothing be honest, to be honest, like 
it's it's kind of funny because like the 1176 is a great example of that because there's so many versions there's the g the e the i think there's an ln yeah the ln is the latest one like it's just kind of funny yeah and the funny thing is like the g is supposed to be the first version of the ln but like it was also built differently like there's also the, the the many versions of the la2a there's the la2 the la2a the la2a gray and whatever um, different years, different series, different generations. You can see, you can say it any way you want, but basically, production changes on hardware. So these plugins try to emulate different series, and depending on what you're doing, you know, like uh, there's the 1176 Blue Stripe, which has a different ratio than the G series. Um, there's practicality reasons as to why they made the changes, but at the end of the day, if you really want to get to know something, just follow the RT. What is it? RTFM rule read the fucking manual you'd be surprised how many times somebody asked me at the studio that works for us they're like yo how do i use the distressor i'm like did you try reading the manual you know it's usually my first response i usually don't mind giving a quick run through but if somebody starts asking me what's a good starting point for the vocals it's like you know in the manual it gives you a point for point reference template for almost every source so you actually have a good idea of where to start on certain sources because the manufacturer, the people who built it, will let you know, hey, it was intended to work this way, and they'll tell you why. You know, it's it's same thing for the plugins. Every plugin has a manual. If you're trying to wonder if your plugin is better for you than the new one that you're considering buying, before you spend those two, three hundred bucks, read the manual. It, you'd be surprised how much it helps. Outside of that, honestly speaking, like, I know you mentioned Plugin Alliance. I'd I'd go as far as saying Fab Filter should be people's first plugin bundle. If you're mixing, oh, yeah. if you well, can't I mean, get it Fab right Filter, with Fab Filter, the barrier entry with cost is a lot higher as well. Exactly, so Plugin Alliance. Cheap. Exactly. The only downside I see it's cheap. It's it's perfect because it's also, cheap. dude. Um, on uh the uh plugin bundles in uh-huh. uh Plugin Alliance, the Kirchhoff uh-huh. EQ is about to come in for free for for. Oh man, I, I'm waiting which, for that. The Kirchhoff EQ is basically a fab filter, but better. Also, just to clarify, um, I'm looked this up right now. Um, this is from Universal Audio, uh, who owns the patent for the original Ura 1176. They say, while the 1176 has been a huge number of revisions in history, the most significant revision to the 1176 circuit was designed by Ura engineer Brad Plunkett in an effort to reduce noise. Hence, the birth of the 1176 LN at revision C. So C was the first one, and so the one that it, that the UA is making. A, um, a model of is revision C, D, and E. Um, and that apparently, that the blackface one that they have now is supposed to emulate the C, D, and E revisions. Um, but there are revisions beyond that. I don't know what specific ones are what. Uh, but anyway, but each one has a different sound, and that's that's important to point out. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you see yeah, it with so other gear too, like the DBX one sixties is the one sixty A, one sixty X, and one sixty XS. Uh, oh no, XT, XT. And the funny thing, I think me and you talked about this because I actually bought your uh, XTs, I believe they are, right? I'm not sure. I forgot what they were. I forgot too. They're they're sitting in A for whenever we're tracking. Once again, I have them, but they're great tracking compressors. But either way, like the A is supposed to be cleaner. The X is supposed to be a little more aggressive. The XT is a little more distorted. And people like Jason Joshua, they're like, Oh yeah, you know, I use the XT for my bass all the time. It's a secret, you know, blah blah blah. He uses it specifically for bass. So like understanding where like certain tools uh excel 
in your arsenal, whether they're expensive or not, will make a big difference. Because let's be honest, Jason Joshua at like, I think he's charging five grand a mix. I may be wrong. Maybe I'm flourishing him up or something. I know Mixed by Ali charges three grand a mix, but let's say Jason Joshua, as popular as he is with all the success that he has, let's say he's five grand a mix. Why is he still using a $200 compressor? Yeah. So uh, going back to the topic here, plugins, um, don't get too many uh, and, and just stay focused on what you need. I think having yeah. one solid EQ that you, you use all the time, something like a FabFilter Pro Q3 or Kirchhoff EQ that's new, or even the stock EQ. I still use the stock EQ on Pro Tools constantly. Um, and getting to learn your tools is more important, significantly more important than getting more plugins. Do not go crazy with the plugins. That's really only ever going to hurt you. I think yeah. as far as uh, tools that mixers need, that kind of sums it up for me. Good yeah. computer. I mean, like you, we see so many... Especially the wave right now is like no desk or very small desk, minimalist setup. It used to be like big desk with lots of gear and side racks and like big Argosy desk. Now we're seeing more and more, especially in LA where kind of the trend is, is starting. Um, people are using very minimal desks. So I have like, and I'm kind of on that trend right now. I have a very small desk. I have my monitors. I have a rolling rack, which I only really use my interface for. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, you like, see that's my all I need for mixing. I most I have a couple outboard gear in the rolling rack, but I never turn it on, so I'm not even counting it in my list of things that I have. Yeah, you see my office go through the changes where like I got the office less than a year ago. Still, it's going on almost a year now because it was roughly around like December January. Um, but point is, uh, you know, I had a small desk, just a little one. Uh, then I when we started renting out Studio B and they wanted to bring in their own desk, that desk became available. I threw it in here and because I didn't really have a ton of rack gear in it, you could hear the desk resonate and all that. So I started really understanding why people were doing the no desk thing. So looking to lower the footprint, I tried out the Jesse way, which was like no desk whatsoever. Like just working yeah, he off just his lap. just puts his mouse and keyboard on his lap. I kid you not. I hate to say it. Maybe it's because dude is so lean, but my belly's in the way. <laughs> my belly's in the way it's it's uncomfortable <laughs> you know so i went back to the desk way and i i had to say like it's it's awkward how much i'm now noticing the desk you know when i go to studio a i don't necessarily quote unquote notice the desk but when you know a room so much that all you've ever changed is the desk and then you can tell the difference because of the desk i i gotta say i'm a, I'm a believer yeah um, I, I want to add one more bonus set of equipment. Sure. So we talked about monitors, gear or lack of plugins, computer, acoustic treatment. Uh, we need to talk about real briefly. This is a bonus category, but aesthetics. Oh, hell yes. The hell point yes. of the, the point of aesthetics, the point of the aesthetics is when you walk into your dedicated room or portion of the room or your office or commercial lot, wherever you're doing your work from the point of the aesthetics is one, help you get in the zone remove distractions or like, for example, if you're doing it from your house, make sure that the dedicated part of your house or the bedroom that you dedicate uh, feels like an office to you so you can get into the working mentality. And number two, and this is more for commercial locations or if you are inviting clients into your home, aesthetics 
uh, as seen by clients is incredibly important. We'll say this many times over again. This was a quote that we stole from Six Figure Home Studio that is now called Six Figure Creative. Yeah. Um, they said that spending money at Ikea has more ROI, return on investment, than spending money at Guitar Center. Um, clients will look at you differently, will treat you differently, will trust you more if you look like you know what you're doing. And whether or not you actually do, but if you look like you know what you're doing, that's the unfortunate truth of it. Um, So uh, get in the zone, help you get in the zone, get your shit figured out, keep it clean um, is a big deal. Make sure you clean it up. And then if you have clients over, make sure that it's something that they can relate to comfortable. Like it can be full of your character. If it's a personal studio, it can be things that you like. Like for example, Lou has a bunch of, um, the Funko pops, right? And that's like a very personality thing of Lou and I don't have Funko pops, but I have sneakers and Supreme stuff on the walls or whatever. Um, so just, it's okay to be, make it very like personal, but as long as it's inviting, if it's a commercial location where like random engineers are going to be in all the time, just make sure that it's inviting and it's not super personal. Um, there's an aesthetic and a vibe, but it's not like my name written on the walls or your name's written on the wall with like, you know what I'm saying? Just make yeah. sure it's more about the vibe. Whereas in a personal room, it's like I should have my plaques and my name written on the walls all over the place. That's totally yeah. cool because they're here for me only. Um, any thoughts, Lou? On the uh, aesthetics? To be honest, uh, if you're going personal, whatever you want. If you're planning on having clients, be careful of what you put up. Uh, just like DK said, you'd be surprised how important a first impression is. You'd be surprised how you do that first project and how important it is that you turn over the project as best as possible because, you know, they may not come back, but once you've been given a chance to prove yourself over and over again, then you can kind of, I guess, whatever, loosen yourself up with like your style, your aesthetic, whatever. But when people walk into a room, if they feel like it's professional, they will assume you're professional. If they see a mess, they will think you're messy and unprofessional. Aesthetic is oddly enough, the part that really will make sure that a client wants to stay or they feel like they understand where they are. Your work can speak for itself once it's out in the world, but most times people aren't checking the credits list. They will just say, who do you trust? And they will say whoever they trust. Now, if you go to somebody's place and uh, I'm not saying anything uh, necessarily specifically about this, but if I were to walk into a studio and all I saw was nothing but like pentagrams and upside down cross all over the walls, I'd be a little creeped out. Don't get me wrong. I love going to a nice, like deep, goth club like in the middle of downtown LA like I I like it but I like it for that moment I don't like it for my work I don't like it for for like yo I'm bringing a hip-hop track to this guy like this guy does this guy listen to (laughs) hip-hop like what 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 are we doing here we're doing some gospel soul what what is this place like you want to make sure that your place is presentable you want to make sure that it appeals to your demographic as well if it's a commercial spot but if it's personal hey this is my personal office. I rarely bring clients here. So if you look behind me, there's literally the three starters from Kanto and Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is important, right? Like w- with artists, they're not going to be able to tell how experienced you are by the use of your plugins or by listening to your mixes. They um, don't even know what they are. Like, they don't even unless know what they're they are. An engineer th- unless they're an engineer themselves and they can, they can give you feedback, you know, but, yeah. um, but they can, anybody can tell if you're professional or not by the way you present yourself. So that's the yeah. unfortunate truth. Um, so please use that. Um, before there's one other thing that I want to add on to this, but before I talk about bonus that, bonus? I, yeah, well, 
it's it's a piggyback on what you were saying, but I have like some numbers to back up. Um, but before we go into that, let's talk about our sponsors brief, uh, briefly. We're sponsored by uh, the Mix and Music Podcast. We're sponsoring oh. ourselves for yeah. the next little bit. Um, Mix and Music Podcast, we release one episode a week on Tuesday for free. Um, but here's the deal. If you go to mixandmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive and pay $4 a month or $40 a year, you can get access to two more podcasts every single week. So Every week, you can get three podcast episodes instead of just one. So three times the amount of content for $4 a month or $40 a year. Go check out mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. All of the exclusive episode podcasts are hosted by Braden Flint at Flint Mastering. Um, and he does a really great job making sure every single topic is focused to a technical thing. So oftentimes, we get into business and philosophy on this free content stuff. Um, but every single episode, the biggest request is we want to keep it technical, things that you can take away and and use for your mixing needs, mixing, mastering, recording needs. Um, that's all it is, is technical information. So um, really great. I think every once in a while, we're going to release a free demo of one of the exclusive episodes on Fridays here on out, like once a month, just so you can get a taste of what it is, what it is you're missing out on. But go check out mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive for that. Also, if you're interested in booking recording time in the LA area with me and Lou, or just in our studio in general, go check out in the That is the commercial recording studio that Lou and I co-own together in North Hollywood, California. Um, we'll take care of you. If you say that you listen to the podcast when you hit us up um just uh we'll give you a little bit of a discount so uh if you want to text or reach out to the studio manager to book some time you can text or call 323-404-7770 once again that's 323-404-7770 to schedule your next recording session okay so the last thing that i wanted to talk about briefly um, is the, the jump that I made. And, and I think many people are going to be able to relate to this and back me up on this. Um, the jump that I made from going from a bedroom setup into a commercial setup, um, when I did this, and maybe you can speak on this too. I made, it's, it's scary to go from bedroom where there's no overhead. It's just rent. Right. And then to a commercial setup, which is you're paying now two rents, you're paying for your office and, and, and on top of that, you're paying for your, your home rent. Um, it's a little bit scary. But I made significantly more money from music when I had a dedicated commercial spot. Yeah. I did. I saw a dramatic increase jump of income based because of the presentation. When I had a dedicated office space that I was paying for, it looked like I knew what I was doing. It was, it was easy for comfortable for f- clients to come in and out because it wasn't my house. Um, yeah. and, and I took care of it. And that there was a there was a dramatic jump in um, income. So this is something to consider too. If you're trying to go full time, maybe. And this was in Utah, where it's not a major hub. So um, getting a commercial lease was really cheap. Like I think I was paying like 800 bucks for an entire building. <laughs> really cheap. Cr- granted, it was a shady ass building, but um, but it was really cheap, and we just built it out, made it look nice, made it real comfortable. So that's something to consider. Um, and I have a couple other friends as well that they said that they made the jump. It was a scary jump again, but they made the jump from bedroom producer to commercial. They had an office and their income went up only. The only difference was they, they created an office that was separate. So it was like the presentation of it, which then, you know, a few other things, but, um, so that's something that you could consider that did make a, a jump. I mean, Lou, you'd used to do recording from home, getting yep. a commercial spot. Uh, could you say the same thing from your own personal 
Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I guess you could say I zigzagged uh, property-wise. Um, I started off from home. Uh, I love telling this to interns. I used to, when I first started recording, I would bring my clients to my parents' garage, which had no AC or heater. So when it was cold, it was cold. When it was hot, it was hot. Um, and it had broken glass windows and all that kind of stuff. It just wasn't very professional. Um, I knew what I was doing for the most part, but, um, you know, I was still very young and oblivious to the idea of how much a difference a commercial spot would make. Uh, you know, fast forward three years later, I got my first studio, um, which is out here in Los Angeles, like about 10 minutes from our current studio, had that for like five years. Um, and you'd be surprised. I started booking label sessions almost immediately. A&Rs would start hitting me up and say, Hey, I heard you got a new studio. It's like, yeah, is it, is it available today? What's going on? I'm like, yeah. They're like, okay, great. We have a client. And then they like flew out uh, Jazzy Faye, Jeremiah, and Masika Kalishaw all in one shot. And that was like one of my first major sessions only a week into owning the studio. I will say that that's not normal. Like if you are living in North Dakota or Utah or like somewhere that is not a major music hub. Yeah, that's uh, not a normal not situation. Normal. That no. Don't don't expect to make a shit ton of money from labels all of a sudden. That's, that's yeah. a very loose specific I experience. Built, I had built relationships and was working out of other commercial studios before I owned my own. So I tell this to everybody. Um, fuck the studio, build relationships, then build the studio. Focus on your relationships all day long, then build out your studio. But it's going to be hard to build quality relationships from your bedroom that can lead to label situations unless you're pulling up to other people's studios. So one method to start out, pull up to other people's studios. Um, Once you get enough of a clientele base, build your own. But it was kind of funny. Uh, After those five years, I went back to recording at home and I forgot how much I appreciated the separation. And this is just adding on to the point of having my home separate from my studio. It's not at, at a certain point, it's not about your client, but your own peace of mind, your family's peace of mind. You have kids. I don't, uh, but we both have something in common. We have a partner who we want to make sure they feel comfortable in their own home. When they come home, there's no random people in the living room watching TV while somebody else is randomly recording in the other room. Uh, they want to take a shower, but they have to wait because the client might need to pee or something. It's it's extremely uncomfortable when you consider how awkward it is to have clients in your own home. Um, but once we opened in the mixed studios, I made it a point to no longer have a computer at home, to no longer have anything work-related at home, just because I wanted to be able to feel like when I got home, I was able to clock out. The, the unspoken uh, benefit of having your own commercial spot is the ability to separate yourself, clock in and clock out. Now, that doesn't mean you work nine to five. That just means that when you show up to work, you show up to work and you don't leave until you're done with that work that you set for your day. And when you go home, don't think about work. Just be home, enjoy yourself, have dinner, watch TV, you know, do what you got to do, go out with friends. But having a commercial spot helps, not only does it help build your brand, but it also helps you recalibrate your own personal life. Great. I think that's a great note to finish on. So on that note, um, thank you so much for listening. One free way to support us and help us grow the channel is by leaving a five-star review Um, on Apple. If you just say a couple words, just like thank you or something like that, that means a lot to us. Um, And it helps the algorithm. (laughs) If you're on Spotify or anything else, um, just type in five stars. We appreciate that. 
um, goes a long way. On that, on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Mixing Music Podcast is proud to say that we have a lot of free resources outside of the actual podcast. Visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash links to find access to our free PDFs and free resources.